now that I'm in coaching, I've read a lot about the psychological studies that are going on in the background when we're meeting people. And I'm like, oh, that's what was at play. But just to like get a little bit analytic for a second, when we meet people, we're instantly making two judgments. We're deciding, are they warm? Do I want to like get to know this person? And are they competent? Can I trust this person? And both are at play. Welcome to Elevate Your Career, the podcast dedicated to empowering individuals from all walks of life as they navigate the ever-changing landscape of their chosen fields. In this show, we'll be bringing on a diverse range of professionals from various career stages to uncover the secrets behind achieving success in any industry. We'll explore how they achieve their career goals and the paths they took to get there. Your host is none other than Nicole McMacken. CEO of the Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC, an award-winning information technology solutions and staffing provider. Now let's get to the show. I am so proud to have Jane Saccaro on today's program. Jane is a highly recognized CEO, an executive coach, facilitator, and speaker. Jane will speak to the importance of listening with a special emphasis on building relationships within the workspace trust and competency, and how you can effectively demonstrate both to get where you need to be within an organization. I love Jane's key to negotiation. She will make it simple and take out any uncomfortableness and worry for asking for more money. Jane, I am thrilled to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. It's great to be with you. I know. Well, last time I think we saw each other was virtual. You were leading a women in leadership course uh, for our spring semester in negotiation and gave quite a bit of tools for the women in the course to walk away with. So they were extremely grateful. And I love hearing you speak and coach as well. So I always walk away and I'm hoping today as well, people can walk away with some tidbits and pearls of wisdom. I hope so too. Yeah. I love being part of that program. It is, it's such a great group of women. Tell me a little bit and tell our listeners about you, how you grew up. Um, I love the story that you tell at Princess Cruises and just really how you became this powerhouse CEO, especially in a, a time when a lot, not a lot of women were, were at that level, but you broke that glass ceiling and, you know, just love to learn a little bit about you and your, you know, growing up and what propelled you to, to get to the next level in your career. Sure, sure. Um, so, okay, we'll, we'll go way back. Um, I'm from the Midwest. I grew up just north of Milwaukee, um, the oldest of three girls and a very, very close-knit family. And I think that's important to where the story goes because as the oldest, I was naturally drawn towards leadership. <laughs> and so at a young age, that meant like if you were in my purview, you were definitely going to you know, be a student in my class or a participant in my play or whatever you know, the theme was. But I just... I. Like, I think I naturally just loved bringing people together and directing them. Some, you know, some willingly and others not. And then, you know, throughout my childhood and, you know, education, I, I think there were a couple themes that really stood out. One is this drive to, you know, seek out leadership. So in formal ways, I started to get really involved with 
all the usual suspects of student council and you know class president and, and leading groups. But then I also was really lucky to get involved with an organization that taught kids how to counsel each other. So peer-to-peer counseling. And I started doing that throughout my high school years. And that I think just sparked this love for deep listening, um, really connecting with others. And it really hit home to me the sense that like, we have no idea what's going on inside another human. And it's such a gift and an opportunity to, you know, be with them and and to really, really make space for, for listening and supporting. And so with that kind of as a backdrop, um, when I went off to college, I was really interested in two things. Um, I was really interested in business. Um, so I majored in econ and then I had, but I had this love for the only way business works is how people work together. And so my minor was in psych and I, you know, sort of gravitated towards really thinking about organizational dynamics. Um, I continued to seek out leadership roles in college and and just loved that idea of let me bring together a whole bunch of people with lots of different backgrounds and work together to achieve something. And I have a, I have a quick question. So when you, in high school, did your high school put on this peer-to-peer group that you were involved in or was it an outside group? Was it through? It started, yeah, it's it's a great question. It started as an outside group and I was so lucky, you know, just the universe created this opportunity that I was the the founding grade that they started this with. And so not only was I learning how to do it, but I got to be the leader of this group. And, and it was an outside group called CROIA, which stood for Community Representing Our Young Adults. And then we actually did bring it into the high school. And so we created a student group that would train high school students on how to really just listen, how to be active listeners, how to practice empathy, how to um, create safe spaces. And then through this group, we hosted retreats and different workshops um, and brought together, you know, kids from lots of different backgrounds and then, you know, taught them how to use that in, you know, whatever role organization community they found themselves in. It's really interesting because a few years ago, I'm in a group called Young Presidents Organization, YPO, and I basically took a YPO setting, which is having a very small concentrated group, 10, 12 individuals. Um, You have a chapter and then you have what they call forums. And I created a forum experience for middle school through high school. So you had to be in eighth grade. And so it was your tail end of middle school through high school. And I saw so much value and takeaway for the kids that were in the group. It sounded very familiar. And it's interesting because I think it's really easy for people to put together. So if listeners are, ha- are you know, have children this age, boys and girls alike, it was, it was mixed, but a really safe place for them to be able to share be empathetic, understand others, you know, create acceptance for differences. And we had a, I think he was young. He was probably first year in college. He was our facilitator for them. So I didn't facilitate the meetings, but it was very similar. And the kids that left that and graduated out of that program, similar to yourself, 
had really strong skills, leadership skills, uh, empathy skills, high EQ. And when they look back, they attribute it to that program. And it was it was very similar, it sounding like to your program that you had. And so I was just wondering how that was, if it was an outside program or for the high schools we're offering, but I, I think it's phenomenal either way. Oh, I love that you created that. Yeah. And I mean, we could, we could spend a whole podcast on this, but when people oh, yeah. ask me about, you know, well, what's going to happen with AI and what, you know, what's going to be still needed? Like the power of human connection is something that, you know, we biologically need to survive and it can be trained and it's, you know, it is being so muted by all the other forces of social media and all the, you know, bad stuff that we know is going on. And so I think there's, there's such opportunity. And I know it's, I love hearing about the participants in your program because, you know, once you've experienced it, how powerful it is and what a gift it is to yourself and those around you. I agree. I agree 100%. And so I know you went to Stanford. We were just talking about your, you know, what you majored in. So you were one of those students that, um, so you did undergrad there and grad school there. And we talk about it quite often in our negotiation class, right? You're one of these brilliant, high EQ, you know, can do everything type of individual. And and so tell me a little bit. So you come out of Stanford um and the world is your oyster. And what is your next step? What do you what do you do? What what is going through your mind at that point? Like where, you know, where do you gravitate towards? I love that I love that you, that you frame it in such a positive way because when I was <laughs> when I was coming out, I was like deer in, in the headlights. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, you had direction, you knew exactly where you were going. <laughs> You're like, no, no. I took I the did. first opportunity I could. <laughs> that isn't quite how I felt. But but what I did know, I was um I had really the benefit because I did my graduate work at Stanford. I had these extra summers. And so I'd done a lot of really thoughtful internships leading up to work after. And I I was struck by, you know what, I think one of the best things to do out of school is to go to a place that will really invest in me and invest in my training. And um, because of this love for business, you know, all roads kept on pointing to strategic consulting. Um and it just felt like a really good fit for me. So um, I joined Bain & Company um, after I finished my master's degree. And again, I felt so lucky because what drew me to Bain was they were opening up an LA office for the first time. And so I was going to get to come in and yes, I'm the lowest person on the totem pole by far. And you know, you definitely feel that when you're cranking your you know, Excel model <laughs> at all hours of the night. But because it was a small office and we were starting out, um, I knew I'd get an opportunity to put my imprint on all the things I cared about with regard to culture of the office. So I was really involved in recruiting. I was really involved in training. I was really involved in onboarding. I just, I loved thinking about what are all the things if we're going to work so hard um, that we can do to really um, create a great culture. And being completely delivered on, you know, my goals of having, you know, an incredible training ground. And the learning curve in that field is just profound because, you know, you sort of, we went through two weeks of formal training and then you're put on a client site, you know, the, the next day. And 
in you come at age, you know, for me, it was 23. And you're often, you know, sitting across clients who have, you know, 20 or 30 years of experience in their field. You are, you know, significantly younger, you know, you know, a fraction of what they know about their company and their industry. And yet you have to work together to get information out of them, to get their insights, to get their perspectives. And so it was such a great learning opportunity because one, it taught me how to climb a learning curve really, really quickly. But two, and probably the thing that stuck with me the most is how do you build relationships um, and how do you establish yourself as someone who is credible, worth someone's time, um, respectful in a situation that often, you know, many of the the clients and, and partners that we're working with, you know, this is sort of a hassle to have a, a consultant in there working with them. And so I loved it. And the other thing I don't think I thought nearly enough about, but it's it's been one of the true gifts of my life. I made friendships with four extraordinary women um, in in that, you know, very first job. And they are you know, still my personal board of advisors, we still go on a trip every single year. Um, everyone lives around the world now and we come together every single year and they've been through, you know, some really interesting professional challenges and and that. So I, the Bain experience, I can't recommend it enough. It was probably one of the most important decisions I made in my life. And it really set me up for for future steps along the way. Talk to me a little bit. I thought what you said is is really key that it taught you and you acknowledged how and the need to build relationships at that level, right? Um so you're coming in, you're new to an organization. How did you go about doing that? Was there a systematic way or is it something that that you thought, what what are some things that you can give to our listeners that in regards to advice that you yourself would recommend today about building relationships within organizations, at, at, I guess at every level that you come in? Yeah. And, I, and they're the same things I focus on now. I think I think there's sort of two things. And it's funny, now that I'm in coaching, I've read a lot about the psychological studies that are going on in the background when we're meeting people. And I'm like, oh, that's that's what was at play. But just to like get a little bit analytic for a second, when we meet people, we're instantly making two judgments. We're deciding, are they warm? Do I want to like get to know this person? And are they competent? Can I trust this person? And both are at play. And we all probably have tons of anecdotes in our life where one person, you know, seriously underestimated the importance of, you know, either the warmth or the competence. And it's really hard to, you know, recover from both of those. And so I think intuitively, I knew that to build relationships, you had to really focus on both. So the warmth is, um, you know, honestly, all the body language, right? I'm smiling. I'm making eye contact. I'm letting you know that you are the most important person that I am speaking to. And those things honestly matter. Um, I'm not, you know, checking my phone. I'm not distracted. I'm present and I'm getting to know you. I'm, you know, asking about a picture on your desk. I'm asking about how long you've been with the organization. And I'm remembering those things. Um, so that, as we're building up a relationship, I'm demonstrating that I'm, you know, that I care and that I'm listening. 
And then I think on the competence side, it was like walking in and saying, like, acknowledging what I knew and what I didn't know, um, not pretending to, to come in and have bravado or, you know, be an expert in any of these areas, but to really stand the ground of like, here's what I do know how to do. You know, here's where there is value and and to be able to to establish that and how I think you establish that when you're creating relationships is you're building up trust, right, with each interaction. And so for me, the follow-up was really important. If I made a note during a meeting and I said I was going to do something, my integrity is always on the line of like, I will follow up. If I said, you know, this is the deadline, I will meet that deadline or I'll let you know. Um, but it's that, you know, constantly saying like, I will be really, in, especially in consulting, I'll be really respectful of your time. I'll be, you know, I'll be on time to our appointments. I'll do the things I said I would do. I won't make requests that, you know, are just fluff or, you know, not needed. And I'll be really mindful about the impact that that this is having. Interesting. One thing that you said that really resonated with me as I see often is individuals who are afraid to say or approach and say, you know, I don't understand, help me, or can you share? Can you learn more? Can I learn more? Can you explain more? And it, overcoming that fear, especially in a new role with unfamiliar people when you're trying to build relationships is taking on that you know more than you actually do. And you walk out of the room not really understanding and not being able to meet deliverables or to come back with something succinct. And so how, you know, that was something that you just touched on, but how did you go about doing that, especially coming from a consulting firm? And so you're with end clients, right? You have deliverables there. And so how would you go about, I guess, not pretending that you don't know something? You know, what advice do you, could you share? Yeah. I mean, I think one is being really open about asking those questions and only asking once. <laughs> So, so, you know, asking a question and then taking copious notes, right? Like, so if you're going to explain to me, one of my first clients was, um, you know, a telecommunications client. I mean, I like I barely understood the, you know, nomenclature that they were using. But if you're going to explain to me how this works, I am going to be taking notes while we're talking and I am not going to come back and ask you the same question twice. So one is like, being comfortable with that. And then, you know, also just an understanding of like, listen, are there other documents or other ways, you know, I can read up on this so that I'm mindful of, of your time? You know, what is the easiest way for me to understand this? I love that. I love that. I think that's so great. I think that's so great. Right. There's resources they're using and, and that. And then I think there's the dance of like, well, how much do I actually need to know about these specifics to add value? And, you know, it is never the expectation that you're going to be able to master, you know, an industry. But what you can master is here are some common themes I see or here, here's what I'm hearing. And so I think for learning, I, I completely agree with you. I've seen many situations where someone will walk out of the room and they they didn't feel comfortable asking the question, so they actually didn't absorb the material. And so I think, you know, for learning, it's asking those questions and then also stating back like, OK, so here's what I here's what I understand about this, just to check that you actually are are getting it. Right. And, and as a listener, we've all been there. Like when someone does that, you're like, oh, yeah, they got it. Like it's really it's not a waste of time. It's really like 
Yes. Or you got 90% of it. Let me like clarify this one thing that, you know, is off, but it's a great way to solidify that, you know, understanding for you too. And oftentimes I, when I'm sitting with someone and I'm trying to clarify and understand, they're really happy to share with me and speak about whatever topic it is in depth because they know I'm astute, I'm listening, I'm taking notes, I'm reiterating back what I understand. And they walk away in some way thinking, gosh, this was this was great. You know, this person is trying to help me and I just gave them clarity around a specific subject matter so they can further investigate, so they can bring back a different perspective and help. So I love that. So I just wanted to, sorry to interrupt, but I thought that was a key part of success for probably for you and and for many others that do the same is not being afraid to step away and say, hey, you know, I explain more. Tell me a little bit more. I'm not as familiar perhaps as you as you are. So I think that that was great. And so you're at Bain. You're setting the stage. You're you're moving up in your career. You've developed phenomenal relationships. Uh, you're asking important questions. And so what kind of is your next step from there? What, where are you going and, and what are you doing? I had this gut, like, again, going back to, I like to direct people <laughs> from a young age. And so what I, I loved all the things I said about consulting. The only thing I didn't love is, you know, we could put together a great strategy or a great recommendation And then at the end of the day, it was up to the client if they were going to implement it. And I really started feeling this strong pull to being the person who was implementing, um, being the person who was responsible for eating my own cooking and seeing like, was this a good idea? Was this really hard to implement? You know, what might need to be tweaked? And, And also being the person who was building teams and, you know, getting to, you know, work with a, a team on a consistent basis. So at that time, um, the first of many internet bubbles was was taking place. And so I'd, I'd been at Bain for three years and there was a phenomenal company called eToys.com that was getting, you know, a lot of traction and attracting a lot of great talent. And I just thought, hey, here's a chance to actually go try this and to actually do more of the implementation and more of the operations. So um, I left Bain and joined eToys again at the very bottom <laughs> of the ladder um, once again, because I didn't know anything about, you know, I ended up going into product management. I've never done that before uh, and, you know, had to sort of climb that learning curve all over again. And that's that could be scary too. And a lot of people don't want to do that. Sometimes people's egos, I don't want to go into a new vertical and transition. And now I'm going into a position, like you said, and then I started back down at the bottom, working my way up. And I think that's tough for a lot of, you know, a lot of individuals financially, number one. Um, and then secondarily, you know, you look at your career and you're trying to elevate at every level. And but sometimes you really need to take a step back in your career to be able to propel you forward, which looking and knowing your story, obviously you did. You were taking risks appropriately, very measured, and went into eToys, high-end internet company. I remember it myself. It was just a boom during that time. And so it was probably scary, but you moved through. And how long were you you there for? I was there two years, which in dog years, I think it felt like, you know, <laughs> two decades. <laughs> it's, 
I got, I got to see everything. And to your point, like, yes, I got there. I was like learning everything all over again, but I was like, this was a decision I made, you know, to, to learn. And I will tell you, you know, another thing I really learned at eToys was when an opportunity is put in front of you, take advantage of that. So the opportunity for me at eToys was I'd been an associate product manager for about three months. We went into our peak holiday season in 1999, and um, we had all this demand, which was phenomenal, but our back-end systems and our warehouse and our customer service could not cope and keep up with the demand. And so all of us throughout the company got plucked. You thought you were going to be a programmer? No. Now today you're in the warehouse moving boxes. You thought you were a product manager? You're going to be taking you know, tough phone calls today. And I watched many of my peers are sort of like, this is not what I was hired to do. Like, this is tough, right? Um, and again, I was like, wow, this is this is an opportunity presenting itself. And so suddenly I was leading in the customer service team, the escalations desk, which if you've ever you know worked in customer service, that is the last place you want to be the week before Christmas, because we were basically the last resort and we were telling family after family after family, you are not getting your Christmas presents. Oh gosh, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine as a parent, number one, right? and I can't imagine being on the recipient on that call. Oh gosh. It was awful. And so I was, you know, you can imagine how many people were fighting me for my job of being the supervisor. (laughs) No one wanted this job, but it was such an opportunity to say like, Hey, I know we're in, we're all, you know, rolling up our sleeves. We're all hands on deck. And what I know this group needs more than anything is someone who can, you know, think of processes, think of systems, keep the morale up lead this team. And it was such a unique experience that after that peak season, the CEO tapped me and said, you're leaving product management. I want you to spend the next year leading from a back-end system what our user experience should feel like through customer service and operations. And so I suddenly went from like, being, you know, the associate product manager to being, you know, a vice president within this organization and it's because, A, there was an opportunity put in front of me that I was willing to do. <laughs> and B, I could bring those skills and and what I learned at Bain to a new environment. So it, it was just a great learning of like, you know, acknowledge that like there's going to be times where you're going to take a step back and respect that everything you've learned up until that point will have some value and and will kick in at some point and you just got to keep on you know demonstrating it and you know working on it and it ended up being eToys was such a phenomenal experience for me that even when the company went through bankruptcy um you know a year and a half later there were five of us that chose elected to stay on until the very end to sell off every single one of the assets the lights off. Um, And it had such a huge mark on my heart. And, you know, just, it was, it was an incredible experience. And so, um, yeah, two years that really felt like. How old were you then? Like how, so. Yeah, I was 26 through 28. Wow. That's a ton of responsibility at that age and to be able to be elevated and promoted that quickly too. And so you ended up leaving there as a VP. I did as a vice president. Wow. Wow. That's great. That's great. Congratulations. That's a, that's a big deal. And I think for all of those 
reasons, right? Being able to have the grit, you know, taking the position that no one wants at Christmas, not happy with people happy with you. Uh, you know, you deserved it, but you probably deserve the president <laughs> position for that, in my opinion. Are you ready to break barriers and become the next CIO in the tech world? Here's the exciting news. We've custom designed a groundbreaking course specifically for female executives interested in becoming CIOs. And the best part, it's absolutely free. This women's leadership course is the first of its kind to support female leaders in technology. The program delves into real life scenarios that CIOs face daily. Whether they're leading small enterprises or vast Fortune 500 companies. So if you're a manager, director, or VP of technology, this course is a perfect fit for you. Current CIOs and technology leaders will take you on a 15-week journey, guiding you through a 360-degree view of what it takes to be a CIO, the pragmatics of implementing IT governance, the foundations of C-suite level project management and portfolios, and so much more. Ready to take a leap of faith in your career? Go to www.irvinetechcorp.com forward slash program and the link is in the description box. If you want to contribute to a more inclusive and equitable tech world for women, you can start at www.irvinetechcorp.com forward slash program. Join us in our next course for the Women in Leadership program and be part of this exciting journey. Now back to the show. So you took them through bankruptcy and you stayed. And then my favorite part of your story, because obviously I've heard it before in our women in leadership class, is you worked on the love boat. I did. So <laughs> dating dating ourselves, right? Uh, but Princess Cruises. Uh, so then you found yourself, I think, one of the leadership team, one of how how many men that you were working with. I think you, you what is it? Carol was a love boat. What was what was her yeah, name? Yeah, you, you totally. The, Julie was the Julie. Was Julie. The Julie. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 That's right. Basically, felt similar to how I did. Um, so yeah. So I um, I joined Princess Cruises, and there was this amazing opportunity to create an onboard revenue department um, from scratch. Uh, Princess had been using concessionaires and and outsourcing a lot of that work and they wanted to bring um, the pieces they had together under one umbrella. And so I was so excited because this was was real operations. It was a chance to build a team and processes and systems. And, you know, thankfully I just had this starry-eyed view as I joined because I don't think I really paused and thought, huh, so all my peers who are leading other shipboard operations spent two decades at sea first and rose up through the ranks, you know, working on cruise ships, understanding every aspect of it, and then got promoted and came to the shoreside job. And oh, they are all men. <laughs> um, they are all not only men, but primarily British and Italian men. So tell me, so <laughs> how did you get this position? Right. So you're leaving eToys and how all of a sudden are you in Princess Cruise Lines? You have no history of any, I mean, you know, certain facets of your job, obviously, clearly you had, you know, the ability to do what they're asking, but how did you get in the cruise line and what is the, what was the interview process like? So in fairness, Princess had been one of my clients when I was at Bain and I got to work really closely with the head of human resources. Um, there were a couple other folks from Bain who had gone over to Princess as well. 
And so as they were looking to create, there were a couple opportunities where they wanted to create new departments and the head of human resources knew that each toys had folded and had reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, would you consider, you know, the, these type of roles and the, the shipboard operations one just spoke to everything that I was looking for. So finally, you weren't going to a company where you're starting at the very bottom, yes, working yes, your way yes, up, because yes. you're not on a cruise ship. That's so, right. Exactly. <laughs> did you have, first of all, you were one of the only female leaders there. Um, secondly, you didn't come up the ranks how the rest of the men did, right? So how did you get through that? Was there any type of awkwardness, resentment of you, um, or did you make yourself, you went in, tried and true, build relationships, listened and move forward. Talk a little bit to our listeners about that. I think it would be super interesting. I mean, I would be naive to say that like there wasn't any, I don't, maybe, maybe resentment's too strong a word, but definitely I'm sure some, some quizzical looks from (laughs) my peers. And then most importantly, the, the ships that we were working with. Right. Um, so at this time, like our, I think three or four senior officers on a ship had access to email and that was it. And so the way we communicated with the teams and and that were really in-person visits and those were so critical. And I will never forget, you know, walking up the gangplank of the first visit. And, and I think it was the first time I just looked around. I'm like, Ooh, this is interesting. Like, you know, one of these kids doesn't belong here (laughs) and, 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 you know, it's different. And I'm sure that many of the shipboard officers sort of had this sense of like, what, how, how would this person understand the ins and outs of what we do? You know, they've come from the outside, you know, and I'm, I'm certain there were probably questions. What I did is sort of the same approach I did at Bain and I did at, you know, eToys, which is, I am going to use that same sense of let me come up the learning curve as quickly as I can by asking a lot of questions. And in this role more than ever, let me really invest in relationships. Um, let me demonstrate that you can trust me, that I follow through. If you, you know, it was pretty common when we would visit the ships that they would share, hey, here's something that's not working or here's something that's frustrating. And, you know, if I heard that, it was my obligation to go back to the office and actually follow up on that, you know, figure out why that was, could it be changed and that, and get back to them with answers. And so I think really being able to deliver on the commitment and building trust, you know, over and over helped a lot. And then like that warmth factor was huge. Um, You know, a big part of our visits were having dinners, you know, having afternoon coffee, like really getting to know the shipboard team so that when there was something going on in the ship, hopefully they would pick up the phone, right, and share it with us. Or when we needed something done, you know, they would be more likely to to follow through. So I think that the relationship building was probably the most important. And then honestly, the relationship building with my peers back in the office was really important. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that because I think, you know, having a cohort, whether it be an all women cohort, all male cohort or mixed cohort, being able to have real peer to peer relationships within the workplace uh, is, in my experience, is 
100% one of the most important things that an individual can do, right? So they create a support system for themselves. And tell a little bit about how you were able to do that in your situation. So one is just making myself as helpful as I could to my peers. Um, So, you know, there were skills and things I was bringing to the organization that might not be their comfort level, you know, so whether it's like, hey, helping out with, you know, getting, we were always, you know, getting ready for a presentation where, you know, we're all going to have to give our updates. And like, often I take the lead of like, okay, here, let me do the, the template and help with, you know, different parts of that being, you know, as grateful and respectful of what they were sharing with me and their support as possible. And then like all the like relationship building of, you know, organizing birthday celebrations and, you know, dinners together and events and, and really trying to, to build up that, that relationship with each of those peers. And was that you always stepping forward and doing that or were your peers doing that and reciprocating as well? Or is that something that you said, Hey, you know, my tenants were being successful, right? You said our warmth and competence. And so you're stepping forward and you're building those relationships or, and, and was it hurtful? Because I'm sure you had some times where people didn't want to do that, right? Yeah. They, they weren't accepting of that. You were making me really think about that. And I, my honest answer is I think I was way more proactive about doing it. It was probably, you know, 80, 20 on me because I needed it to work, right? All of my peers had decades of experience together and relationships that went back, you know, through thick and thin. And so when one of them picked up the phone and asked for something from each other, it was quite easy to get that done. And I could see that and could see how strong those relationships were. And I really needed that to be successful. Um, We were such an integrated group. Like to give you an example, I had a peer, so I would run, you know, all the onboard revenues, like the boutiques and spas and photo areas of the ship, but they have personnel, right? On, you know, running all of those on the ships. One of my peers ran fleet personnel. And so his team did all the staffing. I had to have a really solid relationship with him or I wouldn't get the staff I needed, or I might have a vacancy, or I might not get the manager I wanted on this opening. And so I do think I put more of that onus on myself, especially in our early years of working together. And I think that's smart. I think as you're climbing the corporate ladder as well, and when you're a CEO, it's still tried and true, right? You're building relationships constantly with your stakeholders, with employees. It's important. It's an important facet of who you are and how to elevate your career within an organization. And I think partly that was, you know, tried and true to your success, right? And so you stayed at Princess Cruises for how long before you ended up going to Kesem right after a CEO, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was there um, for a about, let's see, five years. And then there was a little gap. Um, My husband got transferred to work in Zurich, Switzerland. And um, we took the opportunity to go. And that was the one time in my career I was not working full time. Um, I had wrapped up at Princess and just used that as an opportunity to really immerse ourselves in, in living over in Zurich. And I also used that as a chance to say, okay, when we come back, 
what do I want to do next? And I was, I had spent a lot of time in the corporate side of things. I was working really, really hard, really long hours. And especially at Princess, I was traveling extensively. And I had this really sense of knowing of if I'm going to work this hard, uh, I would love to have it have more meaning um, and to be giving back. And so while we were over in Zurich, I really was narrowing in on, I think I want to switch over to the social sector when we come back. And so I used that time to, you know, get as smart as I could about this new space. I read, you know, every book under the sun. I read fundraising for dummies, you know, board development for dummies and all the things that, you know, would be new to me. And my vision was, I think the best place that my skills could be used is if I could find a small and promising nonprofit that had, you know, a great mission, but could benefit from the processes and systems that I used on the corporate side of things. And we moved back to the States and I literally had not even started my job search. We were, you know, in between houses and and that. And um, through a board member of CASM, I learned about the opportunity and they were, they were searching for, you know, at that time, a, a, an executive director and they had never really invested in a role like that. Um, it was an amazing program, which I'm happy to talk about. And it was, it was a really good fit because they wanted also someone who built organizations and scaled organizations. And that is what I'd done in, you know, several cases. And so it was a great fit from my side, from a mission and loving what they were doing, but also like, hey, I actually think this would be an ideal place where I could use my skills. And it's interesting because going into a non-for-profit and I know enough of, about them to know that they don't pay well. And <laughs> so yes. it really has to come from the heart. Yes. And, uh, you know, speaking of that, and you you know, led so many of our women in leadership courses around negotiation. And so throughout your career, from Bain and to eToys and Princess, did you always have this innate ability to negotiate for yourself? Where did that come from? Because now you're teaching negotiation skills to others. And was that you, know, you kind of user error? Or, you know, or, or how did you come about doing that? And I, I would love for you to be able to speak to the audience on, you know, maybe some top tips when you're thinking about negotiating for yourself or, you know, with your supervisor or, um, but any thoughts that you could lend in regards to that? It is such user error. I love that you use that, that term. I mean, really like why I'm so passionate about teaching negotiation is I did none of this for myself, um, along the way until really I moved into thinking about, coaching and the work I do now and really started to do a lot of education about how to do this in a different way. And I think my own life lessons played into this because I can see all the reasons that, you know, women are phenomenal negotiators. So I was a great negotiator for my organization. Like I had to do supplier contracts, you know, I was a great negotiator to hire other people, get them the best deal possible. I, I think I was like the, the most successful, you know, recruiter Bain ever had. Like I could close you like nobody's business. And, and so I had all those skills for others, but I had a really, really hard time using it for myself. 
Why did you think, why, why so? For all the same reasons that I think many women do. So one is, I think there were a lot of societal norms that I was, you know, I had internalized and, you know, sort of had this belief of like, hey, if I put my head down and do good work, that's enough. That'll get noticed and that'll get recognized. And you've heard from my story, like it did get recognized often in, you know, promotions and added responsibility and that, but I let it happen very, very reactively. I was not, you know, proactive about those conversations and certainly not proactive on the compensation side. So that for me was a one, you know, I was, I was raised in a situation where like literally if I were to put our two, you know, family values, it was like hard work and humility. And somehow this humility translated to me of just do good work, put your head down and it'll get recognized and and you'll get a fair wage or a fail sal- fair yeah. yeah 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 and we'll all work um and to ask for more is boastful it there's some hubris there it's you know sort of it can look arrogant it can look that you're not loyal sort of all these things that are like the antithesis of of how i try to move through the world and and so I think that led, you know, it led me to have a lot of interest about this topic and and why women are not good at traditionally good at negotiating for themselves. And I would put myself front and center, you know, in in that. Well, and it's interesting. I share with you some statistics in our technology and the women in leadership. And I read this statistic that in technology, women, uh, 17% of women negotiate for themselves compared to 86.2% of men. And it was shocking. I was floored. But looking at myself, I'm a CEO of, a, of an organization and I have difficult times negotiating for myself and sticking up for myself. And it's really helped your the class that you do because it gives you and provides you some some just standard principles and exercises that it takes the the feeling out of it because it's an uncomfortable feeling to go forward and sit across from someone and say, "Hey, you know, basically you haven't recognized me in the work that I've done, but I'm feeling undervalued and I'd like to be paid more or I'd like to have additional responsibility." What does that look like and the fear of being rejected? is overwhelming at some points in time. And so for me, very similar to you, my whole life, put my head down, worked exceedingly hard and hoped that someone recognized me along the way and lucked out that someone did. But what happens when that doesn't occur, right? That no, that somebody, you're working at these really large companies, your head's down, you're working your heart out and nobody is tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, Nicole, Jane, it's time for your annual review. I'd I'd love to give you 20% more and increased responsibility. And and or how about no increased responsibility, but you're doing a heck of a job and we're going to tie a large bonus to you this year. So, I mean, what is just a couple of of and I and we could do and we what we should do as a whole podcast just on negotiation because I think it talk about something that we can fill an hour, two, three hours on. But are, are there any tried and true tips that that you could give our audience in regards to when they want to go and negotiate for themselves? Yes, yes. So the first thing is to remember that all the strengths you have when negotiating for others 
are still here. Um, and 85, I think they've said 85% of your success in negotiation comes down to the preparation you put into the negotiation. So these are not casual conversations to have. This is not something to tack on to the end of a performance review. This is something to go do your research and prepare. And when I say go do your research, first understand from your side, you know, what's fair in the market. Thank goodness there's so many resources out, out there now online that you can really find out what is fair is, you know, what is really important to you. Sometimes it's not compensation. Sometimes it's flexible schedule or autonomy or where you work or how often you travel, but like really getting clear about what is important to you and really getting clear about why that's important to you. And I find that's really important for women because if they can connect to their why, it takes some of that fear down. It's really like, I'm doing this because I'm helping the next generation of women behind this. I'm supporting my family. I am thinking about my peers in this space. Whatever that why is, is really, really important. The other thing on the preparation side is like, understand where's the company at? You know, what it, you know, what's going on? You know, if you've just done a bunch of layoffs, it's probably not going to be a time where you're going to get an automatic yes on a compensation increase, but sort of, you know, look around, understand what, what the landscape looks like, and then think about the conversation. And again, like put some real thought into this, um, set this up with intention with your manager, you know, let them know what you'd like to talk about in advance, find a time, you know, ideally where you can, you know, either be side by side or, you know, in a conference room or face to face uh, to have this conversation and use that conversation as a great opportunity to learn and get information. This is not a, this is my demands. <laughs> I'm going to have an ultimatum and, you know, mic drop. This is a chance to say, you know, here's what's important to me. Here's what I really think. Here's what I've learned through my research. Here's what I'm asking for. And then, you know, invite in questions and learn from the other person what might be possible. And you might learn a ton. It might be that, hey, we can't do anything now, but in six months, I want to do this. Or, hey, we really need you to take on this level of responsibility and, and that. But use that conversation not so much as a, hey, I need to get this outcome today, but like, this is a start of me being really clear about my intentions, what I want, and then listening to the other person. I think the other thing in the conversation part, it's so often when we're really nervous about this stuff, like all the body language, all the you know things you know that we know are important can go out the window. And so it's really important to practice, um, practice, you know, making good eye contact not fidgeting, um, not, you know, letting your knee bump up and down and, and, you know, really staying connected and calm so that you can, you know, take in what, what is being presented to you. Your, your stat really resonated with me about, you know, what percent of women advocate. And I think I share this in the class we teach um, too, but they did a study at, and they basically had, you know, women and men separated and they it was a fictional job interview, basically. And at the end of the study, they're like, okay, here's your starting salary. And in cases where they just said, here's your starting salary and left it at that, women 
earned and basically agreed on a much lower starting salary than the men. When they said, here's your starting salary, and this is just a beginning, you know, this is sort of let's signal that like, this is our first offer. And the expectation is that you're going to counter women did as good, if not better than men in that situation. So I just close it with like all the skills are there when it comes to negotiation, but it's sort of just even naming that like, this is the playing field. This is where we're operating and it's okay to ask for more. It's okay to ask for what you really want. You know what I love about you in this conversation that I've taken away so many key components of you since the very start in high school, even even before that with your your sisters, a big component of who you are is a person who listens. And if you look at throughout this conversation or here throughout this conversation, you and I are looking at each other, but they are nobody else's. Um, you are mentioning throughout, be a strong listener, ask questions, take notes, listen. That's how you seem to gain relationships. And so even in the negotiation standpoint, you're saying these are important to me, but then I listen. I listen what's important to them. I listen at what I need to do. And so I just wanted to, I don't, I don't know if you realize how important that is throughout the whole conversation that we've had today, that you are such a phenomenal listener. And I think that's added tremendously to the success of who you are. And, you know, and I do want to, we're running out of time, but I, I do, you know, as I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, Jane is a phenomenal consultant and coach, and she does speaking engagement. She teaches courses. And Jane, I would love our audience to know how to get a hold of you because they may have questions about this podcast. They may want coaching from you. They may want executive advice. And if you'd be willing to give them your information, I know that they'd be in contact with you. I'd love that. Yeah. The easiest way to connect with me is my website, um, which is www.janesicaro.com. Two C's, one R. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn. You can connect with me there, but the website is the best place. Um, I have a blog. Um, I list out the different you know, opportunities to get involved. And if you're interested in connecting there, um, just reach out to me there and, and we can connect. Jane, thank you so much. This has been invaluable. I appreciate you and thank you for coming on today. I appreciate you. Thanks, Nicole. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Elevate Your Career podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on your chosen platform that you are listening to us on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them or post it on your social media to share with your friends. You can catch the show notes for this episode and any mentioned links in the description of this episode. Irvine Technology Corporation, ITC, excels at finding top-tier tech professionals and matching them with businesses. Whether you're an employer with tech opportunities or a tech professional searching for the perfect role, ITC is your go-to solution. Visit www.irvinetechcorp.com for more information. Once again, it's www.irvinetechcorp.com. We'll see you on the next episode.